At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? Well, church, good morning. It's uh, my opportunity to come and bring the Word of God to you this morning. My name is Tyler. I'm the outreach pastor. And um, uh, it just started out, I don't know if you guys remember, but there was an eclipse a few years ago. Do you guys remember this? The, the Great American Eclipse is what it was called. I don't know if you guys realize this. This was back in 2017. It was like four years ago that this happened, where uh, pretty much day turned into night, and it was a total uh, lunar eclipse. I believe that's what it's called. I'm not an astrologist. Um, but it, what happens is the, mon, the moon goes right in between the earth and the sun, and this causes uh, pretty much day to be turned into night. And it's, a, it's an amazing natural phenomenon. I have a picture up here if uh, you don't remember what it looks like. That's what it looked like. And if you guys remembered, um, there was uh, amazing traffic jams because people just had to stop and look at it. But then people flooded Walmarts around the area and they bought these glasses here as well. You may already have these. You may still have them like stowed away in your closet. Uh, but this, people bought these glasses so that if you looked up, your eyes wouldn't be burned out, right? But it's these amazing moments. If you could go back to that slide of just this eclipse, it's these moments that it makes people stop. Just stop right in their nine-to-five tracks and, and their daily routines just to look at the power of the heavens. Because it wakes you up, right? You look at these things, and it's a little bit different than life has been. And I love these kind of things. I had a friend who uh, lived here in Michigan, and they traveled all the way to Nebraska just to have, like, this big viewing party because evidently, you know, the, you had different points in America uh, where you had a better view of this. And so I love these moments where it stops us dead in our tracks. You can see the power of the heavens before us. And Jesus kind of brings this kind of otherworldly or heavenly language into the passage that we're going to be studying today. Uh, we've been going through a series called What Now? or What Next? And uh, to, to recap, he's been going through uh, Matthew 24 and 25. They're overlooking the temple on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples have asked Jesus, the disciples have asked Jesus, what is going to happen next? What do you mean by this? Jesus has given all of the signs of the end of the age. We're all kind of interested in the apocalypse, all right? In, in the end of times. Everybody know, wants to know what is going to happen, especially after a year like 2020. And now that we're in 2021, the world looks different. And so Jesus is about to use this earth-shattering language that's kind of going to wake people up. And so he uh, just predicted the destruction of the temple. And, and while they had been at the temple, Jesus pronounced judgment against the religious establishment there. And so as they were sitting overlooking this mountain, Jesus then predicts the, uh, the destruction of the temple. He gives them these signs and he says, don't be alarmed. 
Even though there may be false Christ that may be coming, don't be alarmed. What you should be alarmed of is that uh, the abomination of desolation is coming. That is what you should be alarmed of. And so he tells them to flee, get out of the city, go so that you're not entrapped in this judgment that is coming. And so Jesus lays out what the signs are. He says, don't be alarmed, get out of there and trust in me. And so now we're picking up when Jesus describes these events leading up to the destruction of the temple. If you have a Bible with, uh, with you this morning or electronic device, I'd invite you to go to Matthew 24, verse 29. That's where we're going to pick up today. So this is where uh, we pick up in verse uh, 29. It says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So what on earth is going on? This is kind of hard to, to come right in the middle of it. If this is your first Sunday back, this seems otherworldly. We were talking about heavenly language. And so in context, um, this is immediately after the tribulation. It says immediately after the tribulation, after these hard times. He's referring here to the tribulation after uh, what took place, the abomination of desolation is what it was called. And so after that terrible event happens, in verse 29, it says, The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall down from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Jesus uses these, this allegorical language to emphasize effect, right? And so he brings in this cataclysmic language to describe the events that will unfold. He likens this, like oftentimes we'll use the language of earth shattering, or sometimes we'll say, man, that rocked my world. And it's this kind of language that Jesus is bringing out. And we like to keep things in earthly language, right? But Jesus stretches us, stretches the disciples, and wants them to see a bigger perspective uh, from a heavenly standpoint. Does that make sense? And so he uses this language that Jew Jewish audiences uh, would have understood. Before we even get into uh, interpreting this text, it's important to understand where Jesus was, what the author's intent was, so that we can understand what they were getting at. So this was written by Matthew, and Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience uh, for... Uh, in his story of prophecies and Old Testament teachings to help his re readers realize that Jesus was the Messiah. So this is Matthew's intent. This is where he's writing from. And so uh, for whom they had been waiting for centuries, they'd been waiting for Jesus. And in the Old Testament scriptures, this is very, very similar to Isaiah 13.10. And in, in Isaiah 13.10, Isaiah says... For the stars of heaven, of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. Does that sound familiar? And then later in verse 13 of that same chapter, Isaiah says, Therefore I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. So here we get a picture of Jesus's or the Lord's wrath. We don't really talk about the Lord's wrath often, um, but, we, but it is found in Scripture multiple times. 
Isaiah likens the coming of God's judgment to the upheaval of the cosmos. Like he brings in the stars and the moon and the heavens. And so in verse, in Isaiah, uh, it was actually relating to the judgment of Babylon. They were in Babylonian captivity and God was saying, I'm going to judge Babylon. Well, now Jesus goes over into, he references Isaiah in this and he's more of referring to the judgment that is coming against Israel and against the temple. The very people, Israel, and the very place, the temple, that was meant to be a light to the world and a beacon of truth is now going to be, as Jesus says, going to be judged. And through the destruction of the temple, Israel is judged. That's our first point today if you're taking notes. And so we use similar language in the same way that Jesus does. Um, think about some of the language that we use when we promise that people are going down in, in like any competition or any game. Is anybody competitive in here? Raise your hands if you're competitive. Good. You're my people. I love that. My, uh, my wife and I, from time to time, play Monopoly. And there's no other game that causes competition like Monopoly. Um, or uh, if you're a student in here, if you have played uh, Nine Square, right, on, on Sunday nights, that's another game that I love playing. And before playing any kind of game, what do we normally do? We say phrases like, you're going down, like I'm about to bring it. <laughs> or if you're, a, if you're a WWE fan, it's like for a good straight minute or like even like 30 minutes of somebody comes out of the entrance and they're just walking like this. They're so intimidating. They're, all they're doing is just setting the stage. They're like saying this kind of language, and it's like 30 straight minutes of them just showing intimidation and using body language like that. And so it's this kind of thing that Jesus is kind of getting at. He's using this language to foreshadow the coming judgment that he's about to bring. And so it, the judgment ultimately was in the destruction of the temple by saying that the sun and moon will be blacked, the stars are going to be burned out, the whole heavens will be shook. In other words, the temple is going to be demolished. So why would Jesus judge Israel, right? Culture always says, judge not. God is not a judging God. Well, through the New Testament, Jesus constantly warns the religious leaders, or Israel in general. I'm just going to lay a couple of these out. You're welcome to write some of these down to study later. Uh, but Jesus had warned the religious leaders that every tree not bearing fruit would be cut down and thrown into the fire. That was in Matthew 7, 19. Uh, another one, he warned them that the sons of the kingdom would be thrown into outer darkness. That was in Matthew 8, 12. And so there were multiple moments, if you can even think of, how Jesus was showing that they are not living a righteous life. And Jesus had warned the religious leaders in Jerusalem throughout their ministry that if they did not repent, destruction would come. So he gave them multiple warnings. And Israel had multiple advantages as well of their position, of where they were. Uh, the people of Israel, they were descendants of Abraham. And many advantages when it came to understanding who God is and his purposes of the world. They were recipients of God's promises. They had been closest to God. They had been God's mouthpiece for centuries. And in Jesus' day, they had squandered that. What were they caught in? They were caught in idolatry. They were caught in legalism. They were leading people aside. They were not bringing them closer to God. And Jesus came on the scene and he foreshadows judgment towards these people and towards how they were acting. 
And so we need to learn from their lesson. You know, we have prominence within the church. There are multiple advantages that Christians nowadays have in America. Praise God we can meet in this place. Praise God that uh, we can talk about Jesus maybe without being judged, maybe without being fired from our workplace. But it is nothing like Christians living in China or the Middle East or anywhere else in the world where uh, they're fighting for their lives, essentially. But they are essentially just preaching the gospel with, uh, no matter what actually may come of it. And so we do have advantages in this country, and we can fall into similar hypocrisy. The very nature of our God is justice, and it is a just God who rights the wrongs. You see, sin cannot go unpunished. God actually shows his love by righting the wrongs. It's like any other parent-child relationship, right? It's like if they don't uh, discipline their child in whatever way, or if they just ignore what their children have done, something terrible, is that loving for the parent uh, to continue parenting that child in the same way? Like, we need to right the wrongs, and God is doing that exact same thing. So we need to exercise humility. Let's humble ourselves before the Lord. Let's examine our hearts. Let's ask him to search us and know us and reveal any waywardness in our hearts. Let's continually stand amazed at the holiness and the righteousness of God who delivers justice against all wickedness. And so in the same way, we need to examine our hearts and look at the example of Israel and learn from that so we don't fall into the same trap. So Jesus continues in the next verse to describe what sign is to follow. Here's what he says next in verse 30. He says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This is my favorite section. I love this. He again uses language that the Jewish audience would have understood. Uh, so again, he uses this uh, allegorical, otherworldly language um, that the, the original Jewish audience would have understood. Because once again, he's using language that is loaded with scriptural significance. If you have a note in your Bible, just write down, this is Daniel, Daniel 7 that Jesus is uh, referring to. And in Daniel 7, the prophet Daniel is sharing a night vision he received from the Lord. I mean, this seems like another time, right? Does anybody receive night visions? I don't, at least. But Daniel gives us a beautiful example and a prophecy of what Jesus is about to utilize. And so in Daniel 7, it says in verse 13 through 14, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the cloud of heaven there came like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Doesn't that sound similar to what we see right here? Right? And so Jesus continues to quote Old Testament scripture to show that one day the Son of Man will fulfill these things. And who is the Son of Man? It's Jesus himself, right? And Daniel references the Son of Man and how he inherits this eternal kingdom 
uh, the Ancient of Days, meaning God will give him all of the glories of heaven and he will sit on his throne. It's almost like a, a coronation ceremony of God giving him a crown and a scepter and saying, this is your throne, take it. And so when is this going to happen? It's very easy for us to look at these verses and we're so concerned with when these certain things will happen. And there are some schools of thought. Some people are in the historical mindset or futurist where uh, some believe that Jesus died, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven and he was given this kingdom. Like right now, Jesus is in heaven and he has been appeared in heaven and rules in heaven. People believe, some believe that this has already been fulfilled, or at least part of it. And then the futurist says that the entire verse will take place at the end of all times, and that Jesus at one time will come again. This is Jesus' second coming. And so all of this takes place after these cosmic events take place. And it's really easy for us to get hung up on these certain events, it's, it's not like I have a bulletin board behind me and with all this twine and all these pinpoints of when these things are going to happen. It's very easy to get to that point. I often joke about how I am a pan-millennialist, of how everything's going to pan out in the end. And it's important, though, uh, whether or not that's your mindset, to stick to the essentials. And the essentials are this, is that Jesus will return and Jesus will rule. Are those not the essentials? And so when this does happen, it will be unmistakable. A reference in previous sections, there will be false Christ who will lead people away. But Jesus, I mean, when he comes back, you're going to know when he comes back. And so the coming of the Son of Man, when it finally happens, it, another section in this verse, it says that all people will mourn. Isn't that interesting? And I... I I studied that this week, and I, I saw a little bit of a reference in Exodus 20:19, when Israel uh, was hearing from God on the mountain, when they were receiving the Ten Commandments, they heard God speaking, and Israel couldn't take hearing from God anymore. It was like, it was so much to take in, and they said, I can't take any more. Like, please stop talking. It's going to be similar when Jesus comes back. We're going to see him in all his glory and what's it say? People are going to mourn, whether or not they feel the conviction of their sin or if it's just so much glory they can't take it in. Jesus is glorious, and when we see him in all his glory, it's going to be amazing. Jesus says this is what's taking place in heaven when the temple is destroyed on earth and Israel is judged and Jesus is enthroned. That's our second point. Jesus is enthroned. And here we see a paradigm that has already taken place, but it's not yet fulfilled, right? We haven't seen Jesus come back yet. And yes, that sounds kind of like a, a contradiction of it's happened, but it hasn't happened. This is, uh, Jesus gives us an inkling of a future. It started to happen in the past, right? He, was a, he ascended into heaven. He's been reigning victoriously, but then it will be completed in the future, Jesus has not come back yet. He will come back soon. And in that time, we worship him. It's from temple to relationship. We see this shift of when Jesus is reigning on his throne and we should focus on him solely. God is communicating to the world that the, the source of power and authority is no longer at the center of the temple. It's not here at the church. 
Instead, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him who is the Son of Man, the King of heaven, the Lord Jesus. Isn't that amazing? All authority is on him. The center of God's purposes is in Jesus. God's presence is found in Jesus. Forgiveness is found in Jesus. God's word isn't found in my words. It's not found in uh, the temple priest's words. It's found in Jesus. We look to him, not Jerusalem, not anyone else, as our ultimate authority. So he fulfilled these ancient promises made through the prophet Daniel that the Son of Man would come and he will come back again. So who or what is the Lord of your life? I'm sure you've been wondering what this crown is like. What, what, what is this crown that's sitting on the ground? And uh, who or what is the, is the Lord of your life, right? It's all about who you're placing this crown on top of. And we give our time to multiple things in this world. Whether it may be you're placing this crown on top of somebody else. Maybe you're placing this crown on top of a, a religious figure. Maybe you're placing this crown on top of Facebook or other blog posts or other authorities on the internet. Maybe you're placing this crown over here on top of your job or money. Or maybe you're placing it on your own power. Maybe you're placing it on yourself. I'm not going to do that to myself. I feel sacrilegious. Um, but ultimately... Our lives should be marked by placing this crown on top of that cross because ultimately Jesus is to receive all power and authority and glory. So all of the allegiance in your life needs to go to Jesus because ultimately what you give your time to is what is Lord over your life. We, don't wanna, we technically don't admit, yeah, I worship Facebook. Yeah, I worship my job. You would never actually say that. But what you give your time and energy and your heart to, it reveals what is Lord over your life. So analyze yourself in this moment just to see who actually is Lord of your life. Victory is certain in Jesus, friends. Jesus is the person who will win at the end. So why give your crown to anybody else or the crown of life? So Israel is judged, Jesus is enthroned, and finally Jesus tells us that the gospel is global. The gospel is global. Look at what Jesus says here next in Matthew 24, 31. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Since the beginning of this section, Jesus has covered major milestones in the history of humanity. He's covered cosmic events that display God's judgment. He's covered the coming of the Son of Man. And here we discover what the Son of Man is actually going to do when he comes. We see that the Son of Man's mission goes global in all four directions of the earth. Just imagine a global gospel. Doesn't that sound amazing? It's not just here in Warren, right? It is a global gospel. And based on this passage here, Jesus implies that the gospel has already reached the four corners of the world. It references the work that we have been doing tirelessly to take the good news of Christ across the globe. Jesus is currently gathering presently, right? When people accept Christ and they give their life over to him, and they pass away, they are, Jesus collects them and brings them into heaven, into his presence. 
but then Jesus eventually at the end of all time will gather in the future. This is the already not yet paradigm again, is that it's starting now, this is starting now, and it will be completely, uh, it will be completed in the future. And then he likens the preaching the gospel to a trumpet. Does anybody play trumpet in this room right here? My, my dad plays trumpet. And he, he likens this, the, this preaching, this gospel call when we share the message of Christ. And, he, you know, trumpets are often, you can't hide them, right? When you play them, they are so loud. Maybe you're a parent who has a kid who plays a, a brass instrument. They are so loud. You can't hide that noise. Like the noise of a trumpet is unmistakable. It's not quiet. It, it doesn't discriminate anybody who hears it. It reaches everyone when you, when you play it. My dad's an amazing trumpet player, and when he played, when I was at home, you know, we'd go to like the far corner of the house just so we didn't have to hear. No, I'm joking. He's a great trumpet player, and I love him very much. But that kind of noise, it, it's unmistakable. You hear it. And so when Jesus comes, this likens, this gathering his elects and sending out his angels with a trumpet call, this is likened to uh, uh, just the preaching of the gospel. When we follow his command to share this gospel message of the life that Jesus has given us, we are sharing this news in the same way. And so Jesus declares that there will be a day when he will come to bring those who have given their heart, soul, and mind to himself. God will come for you. He's going to come for you. If you've given your life over to him, he will come back for you to collect himself uh, or yourself to him. Doesn't that sound like an amazing day of being in the presence of God? We get glimpses of that here on earth, but there will be a time where we will be face to face with our creator. And I cannot wait for that moment. Ever since the start, we've been driving towards the unreached, pushing geographical boundaries outward, so that more and more of the world will be filled with the light of the gospel. This is our global mission of bringing this message to everyone around us. We are called to participate as messengers of this great news. So what are your thoughts and uh, what are your thoughts towards the nations, towards bringing the gospel, maybe not even to the people next to you or your neighbors, but globally? Like, how do you feel about reaching the nations? Are you burdened for the areas of the world where the gospel witness is little to none? There are millions out there who have not heard the name of Jesus yet. And so I'm going to give you three areas that you can uh, follow this mandate to bring the gospel to the nations. Why not get involved and play a part for these people to hear the name of Jesus? Imagine if you had never even heard the name of Jesus. You wouldn't even be here right now worshiping Jesus so play a part and do these things. Pray. Number one, pray. We must pray for these areas of the world that have not been reached yet by the gospel. And a wonderful resource that you can use is Operation World. I have a book here. You don't have to buy a book. But this is what the book looks like. It's called Operation World. You can go online and actually access this book. It's operationworld.org. Write that down if you're taking notes. But this is a prayer guide for the nations. This is an amazing source where it basically has all of the nations in one place and it gives their geography, their people makeup, their economy, politics, their religion makeup, and it, 
uh, it specifically lists specific answers to prayer that it has been in the, in the past, and then their challengers, challenges for prayer in the future. So I didn't plan this out, but I'm, I'm going to pull up one random country of, uh, let's see, the Marshall Islands. It's the Republic of the Marshall Islands, and it gives their entire makeup and it talks about their traumatic history and gives the specific prayers of how you can partner with these, uh, maybe some missionaries over there of how you can pray for them. So pray. There is power in prayer of partnering with God and asking him that he would reach the people over in different countries. The second one is send. Another part that we can play is to send. Those who are called to leave our home and nation and go to the unreached must be sent. These are cross-cultural missionaries who have already been there. There are people in nations that have been there for centuries, not centuries, but a long time where they have, <clears throat> where they have uh, been a, a gospel witness to these nations. So why not partner with them in prayer? Why not partner them financially? You can go to uh, Woodside's uh, main site and actually see a list of our missionaries, and you can continue to pray for them or even support them financially because there are people within these contexts who uh, need your help. And then the third one is to go. Maybe God is calling you, you, to go and be a missionary to other nations. It seems like a, a big calling, uh, but maybe God would raise up laborers here for the harvest. I mean, Woodside has seen young people and old people alike to go and reach the nations, and maybe God is calling you to do that. I know that a lot of our short-term missions have been postponed at least uh, for the better part of this year in 2021. So at least in the meantime, start reaching your neighbors for Christ. Start reaching your coworkers for Christ because God has placed you in that specific environment to reach the nations. I am not where you are. God has given you a purpose to reach those directly around you. You have their trust. You may be friends with your neighbors. So reach them this week. Learn their names. Get to know their life story and see how Jesus can come into their life. So what will your role be? Let me just encourage you just to figure out some of these practical examples of how you can start to reach the nations and make this fulfilled. Ask God that he would make this happen. So put your feet in the shoes of the disciples, specifically in this section. Maybe they're a little bit confused. Maybe they don't quite understand what Jesus is talking about. And the original question uh, they originally uh, gave to Jesus was when the temple would be destroyed or what is going on. And Jesus' answer was what signs to look for and not look for. He gave God's purpose of enthroning Jesus and reaching the whole world. But maybe they were still uncertain. And so Jesus' answer, in order to counter that line of thought, Jesus adds these, uh, these final words in uh, Matthew 24, 32. He says, From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts its, um, and puts its leave, or, and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things, you know that he is near. At the very gates, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So he talks about the tenderness of a fig tree and leaves. This is probably a, something right beside the disciples. They're probably, he's bringing in this object example 
of when this happens, when you see these leaves and the tenderness, this is when the things will start to happen. He assures them that the destruction of the temple is going to happen in their generation. And guess what? It did. Jesus is a prophet. He knew that it was going to happen. Jesus is God, so he knows these things. And the destruction of the temple happened in 70 A.D., and so there will also be signs leading up to the, the temple's destruction, and Jesus assures the disciples that it will, and obviously all these things haven't taken place in 70 AD, right? And so while the temple was destroyed, Jesus has not come back yet. And while we wait, we have confidence that he adds in verse 35 that heaven and earth may pass away, but his word will stand forever. He calls on his disciples to rely on his unchanging word. Rely on Jesus' unchanging word. Don't lose sight of what God has already said. The prophecy of Jesus seems mind-blowing. Like, you're talking about cosmic events. You're talking about uh, there's no way this is going to get done. The destruction of the temple, the enthronement of the Son of Man, the gospel going global. Like, these are big things. And it's easy to lose sight of these things in our nine-to-five jobs. Like, we're living here in February 2021. What are you talking about, Jesus? But these things are going to happen. Jesus says, bank on it. Rely on my word. Everything else may fail you, but you may, fight. You may even fail yourself even. But my word is true and enduring. 2021 may confuse you. These times are uncertain. Uncertain times. Have you guys, you guys have heard that in 2020. But these times are uncertain. 2021, who knows what this year is going to bring. The future is always uncertain. But God's word is clear. God's word is unchanging. And Jesus' throne is established forever, and his word is reliable forever. Let's look to him, let's listen to him, and let's have confidence that we can move boldly into an unknown future. Would you pray with me? Jesus, man, your word is so good. We thank you for this revelation that you've given us. We thank you for your unchanging word that you have given us. To hear of all these signs of the end of the times, it, it's sometimes mind-blowing, and it's a lot to take in. But Father, as we trust in you and your word, Father, would we just place you as Lord of our life? You deserve all glory and all power. We give you your crown. You already have your crown. But Lord, in our life, I pray that each and every single one of us would submit to you and accept the life that you've already given us. Help us to rely on you more than anything else in this world. And while the future may be uncertain, Lord, I pray that you would just give us a word, give us something, give, give us some encouragement as we bring your gospel to the nations. Father, we accept your call, we accept your encouragement to bring the gospel to the nations. Move us, be with us as we bring your love to our neighbors, to our friends, to our coworkers. We thank you for the life that you've already given us. And Father, we, we just thank you for who you are and the kind of God that we serve. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. 
head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.